0: I'm Stephen Wright, and you're listening to Last Days of Diana, a Beyond Reasonable Doubt series from Mail Plus. Episode 3 A Note from the Grave. In the first two episodes of this series, we've taken a forensic look at the events leading up to, and immediately after, the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. You might be wondering why a true crime podcast is looking at the story. But the fact is, a crime was committed, although not everyone agrees what the offence was. And her death prompted an unprecedented three-year investigation by Scotland Yard. It's undeniable that Diana's death in a car crash was unlawful, so in the next few episodes I'll be examining, with the help of key figures, who was really to blame for her tragic death. I'll also investigate why some pointed the finger at the royal family and speak to those involved in the inquiry into her death. In order to understand why people were so shocked by her death, it's important to appreciate just how popular Diana was, and still is. Diana died in 1997, yet to this day, she remains an icon. Over the past year alone, as the Netflix series, The Crown, dramatized her marriage to Prince Charles.
1: I'm sorry, we haven't
2: missed. We have. I was in costume at the time. Sarah Spencer's younger sister. Uh, the mad tree. Diana, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes.
0: And the real-life drama of Mexit was splashed across the front pages. The
2: Buckingham Palace has confirmed that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex will not be returning as working members of the royal family.
3: It has been our privilege to serve you and we will continue to lead a life of service. Were you
2: silent or were you
3: silenced?
0: Newspapers and social media have once again been filled with photos and speculation about how Diana might have reacted if she was still alive today. Just last week, a new statue of the princess featured on the front page of almost every national newspaper. I spoke to the male's Richard Kay, who had known Diana well During his time as a distinguished
3: royal correspondent, about her enduring appeal. She absolutely transformed the royal family, first and foremost. The royal family in the 1970s had been sort of stuffy and rather staid, and we all knew that they were there, but no one really took a huge amount of interest in them. But Diana electrified the world. It wasn't just this country, it was right around the world. I mean, people talked about mania, the huge crowds that sort of surged around her whenever she did a big public engagement. That wasn't created in Britain. That started in Australia and came to Britain. So there was something about this girl. It wasn't just the fact that she was very photogenic, but that was a huge part of it. But And, and yet, really, her backstory ought not to have excited the public in the way that it did. I mean, she was from a very noble family. She had a very privileged upbringing. And yet there was something about her that resonated with ordinary people. And no one has come close, quite frankly, to replicating, A, what Diana had or what Diana represented, either about this country or indeed about herself.
0: I can testify for her film star looks because I saw her in person in Hong Kong when I was working there in '89. I think you were there, there. on that trip, and it was quite incredible, actually. Yeah,
3: You know, she could go to parts of the world where people would be very hard to put a finger at Great Britain on the map of the world, but everybody knew who Lady Di, as they called her in Hong Kong, or Princess Di was. We want we want we done. Done.
1: We
0: People's interest in Diana fueled the media coverage of her life. I mean, even I took an interest in what was happening that summer. It was a real sensation.
1: The Saint-Tropez villa of Diana's friend Mohamed Al-Fayed. In full view of waiting press and TV cameras, the princess went to the beach beside it today. She seemed unconcerned this time by all the attention.
0: It was a real media circus, wasn't it, Di?
1: It was tabloid news every day.
0: Di Davies was head of the Met's royalty protection squad during the summer of 1997.
1: And, of course, when they weren't there, she made that incredible statement, you're all going to have a big surprise. Well, we never did know the biggest surprise was when she died. But, again, she could titillate and tantalise the press and play some off against each other. And, again, on that first holiday... Uh, it's very interesting because subsequently she, she was alleged, as we know, to be pregnant. And one of the, funny enough, one of the pictures that uh, circulated was her in a leopard skin swimming costume with a bulge. Well, the truth is when that was actually taken, they hadn't even met. So that shows and starts to show the kind of nonsense that emulated later, as we will find out.
0: Penny Juna is a royal biographer and regularly comments on the royal family in the media. She remembers how the press coverage began to turn negative in those final weeks of Diana's life.
2: The newspapers were turning on her and she was being seen day after day on the front pages of our newspapers wearing skimpy bikinis and cavorting on, on the deck of this boat. And, you know, the, the, the columnists were really sort of sharpening their pens and and writing some pretty nasty stuff.
3: But as the fourth estate prepared themselves for supper on the Côte d'Azur this evening, after a hard day's die-watching, there was scant sympathy.
0: She was going to get caught within minutes, and that's precisely
1: what happened. I think then to complain that the press are around too much is faintly ridiculous.
0: But irrespective of... The morality or, or or integrity of some of the reporting of her in the weeks leading up to her death. There, there was undoubtedly a appetite for news about what she was up to, wasn't there? And she wasn't. To be fair to some of the journalists who pursued her, she wasn't disguising it. I think there was a, an element of her being happy to put out into the public domain that she was in a in a new relationship.
2: I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, there was appetite, the public appetite for stories about Diana just grew and grew and grew over her years in the public eye. I mean, I think you're right. I think she enjoyed that. She started a new life. She was out there. She was happy. She was free. She was no longer bound by the royal family or arguing with her husband. It was over and she was starting a new chapter.
0: We all know that Diana and Dodie started a relationship that summer, that they were on holiday together, and it's very difficult for the most photographed woman in the world to have a relationship and it not hit the headlines. Can you just talk me through, Michael, from your perspective, how that summer unfolded?
1: Dodie and Diana had known each other for ten years. They met long before the summer of 1997, and they'd seen each other from time to time.
0: Michael Cole knew both of them. At the time, he was the press chief for Harrods and its owner, Mohammed Al-Fayed.
1: During that summer, they were together on three separate holidays and they saw each other in London. They even went on a weekend to Paris, which nobody knew about. They even went to a private showing of a film in Water Street, which nobody ever knew about.
0: Do you think they were trying to hide their relationship from the press?
1: She wasn't hiding from the media. They were on a yacht apart from the crew and the butler and the maid. There was nobody there to conceal the nature of their relationship. They didn't hide it. And I think that the princess would not have entered into a relationship which obviously was going to become known by the media had she not meant it to be a long-lasting one
0: princess diana spent her last week with dodie fired on a yacht in the mediterranean a horde of paparazzi followed their every move snapping photos of the pair swimming and lounging in the sun On Saturday, the 30th of August, they flew back by private jet to Paris, where they planned to stay in the Ritz. They had the press in tow the whole time. The pressure of the press interest was intense and was beginning to bother Diana, as she told the Mail's then royal correspondent, Richard Kay, when he spoke to her on the evening of the crash.
3: It was about 6.30, I think, on that Saturday evening. It would have been about half seven, therefore, in Paris, where she was calling me from. And we had about a 45-minute conversation. She and I had a bit of a routine. Saturday night was a a big night for Diana in those days because Saturday night was the night the Sunday papers came out. The Sunday papers um, were difficult quite often for the princess. And, um, you know, as a working journalist, she often asked me, if I knew early on what was likely to be in the next day's papers, and and often I did. But on this occasion, she was remarkably relaxed. She didn't feel she had anything to worry about from the following day's papers.
0: So how would you describe her mood generally then?
3: Her mood generally was okay, but she was a bit agitated on that Saturday night. Their plans had gone awry. There had been some problem with the weather, either in the south of France, it delayed their flight to Paris or there had been some delay on getting back onto land from their cruise. But she should have gone home on the um, Saturday and instead it was being delayed by 24 hours. So she was in Paris and there had been all those scenes on Saturday afternoon with um, paparazzi racing after them when they'd arrived up from from the south of France on their private jet and, and gone into Paris and I think she was beginning to find the whole circus uh, with Dodie rather tiresome. I mean, I'm not suggesting that that meant that her relationship with Dodie was tiresome. And, I, in fact, far from it. Um, but the whole uh, fascination with her throughout that summer was beginning to get on her nerves.
0: I mean, she obviously is someone who was used to intense scrutiny. But even allowing for that, I guess there were days when she'd just get weary.
3: She did. She got, she got extremely weary from the constant... Photographers, presence of photographers always there following her wherever she went. She felt very trapped by them. I mean, even Dodie fired with his access to his father's great fortune and all the things he could provide, the toys, as Diana always put it, private jets, you know, uh, private boats and chauffeur driven cars. They couldn't escape entirely from that sense of being not hunted as such, but sort of being followed and observed all the time. And she did find it a bit tiresome. I mean, there's no doubt that the security around around the fires was very different from the kind of security that she was used to around the royal family, which was, I would say, much more professional.
0: She uh, obviously had been with Dodie Fired for a short holiday earlier that summer. I remember it very well, those pictures from the the, the south of France. But did she give an indication about how serious the relationship was during that last conversation you had with
3: her? She had already given an indication to me about how serious it was. Two things had happened that summer. First of all, she had gone public, if you like, for the first time with a man since her divorce from the Prince of Wales. Okay, they were very muzzy, long-distance photographs, but if they had wanted to, they could have avoided the photographer's Entirely, and I think she was sending out a message that here she was, she was now an unattached woman. Why shouldn't she be with a man who had no attachments himself? Well, at least that's what we understood at the time. Mm-hmm. Turned out that he had been engaged, uh, and I think she was sending a message. You know, this is the uh, she was embarking on a, on a new life. So that was a big change. Specifically, that Saturday night, she did ask me about Dodi. She asked me why the press were focusing so much on his background his his previous romantic entanglements and other things relating to his private life and I said well they were entirely normal and and you would expect that to happen whoever he was whether mm-hmm. he was a dustman or whether he was the mm-hmm. son of the owner of Harris
0: Did she give you an indication what she found attractive about him
3: Yes I think she did I mean her view was that here was a man who if not exactly from her world, had an understanding of what her world was like. He'd been characterised as a playboy. He'd had a very privileged upbringing as the son of Muhammad Al-Fad. He'd wanted for nothing. He'd played at various things throughout his life. He really didn't have to work for for a living because he was a rich man's son. And I think more than anything, he understood a bit about the spectacle that she was under constantly, the attention. Now, it doesn't really compute. He was the son of the owner of Harrods. But in parts of the world, Mohammed Al-Fayed was a very big, controversial figure. He was certainly controversial in Britain, of course, but for for different reasons. And I think Dodi could bring some of that knowledge into a relationship with Diana. And I think that he, he was also quite relaxed. He was used to having security around him. Not everyone is comfortable with security. He was.
0: And that last conversation with her, was she expressing, you know, a lot of been said about her alleged mental state around that time, that year. Was there anything causing you concern, and and was there anything causing her concern about her own safety?
3: Well, I I, I would say quite firmly that her mental state was perfectly okay. I think we tended to sort of confuse the fact that she was always in the headlines. I mean, she really was. It's it's hard. 24 years on, we forget. I mean, Diana was on the front pages day after day after day. Everything in her life seemed to be a drama. But it wasn't always like that for her, and she did manage to to hold it together. Um, I don't think at that stage... Uh, Her mental state was an issue. If anything, the previous year, the divorce from Prince Charles in the summer of 1996, the idea that the slate was being wiped clean, I think she was moving forward with her life and she was a much more confident woman than the woman I had got to know five years earlier, where she was very insecure. So I I, I would strongly say that she was in a good position, a, a good place at that time.
0: Richard paints a picture of a woman facing constant scrutiny who was somewhat worried about how she was portrayed in the media, but also of someone who was largely coping with that pressure and was looking forward to the future. In the aftermath of the crash, some blamed the media, and specifically the paparazzi who followed her that night, for hounding the princess to death. It's undeniable that the photographers on motorbikes contributed to the danger of her car ride through Paris. But did the press in general play a larger role? Colin Tebbit, Diana's former driver com bodyguard, believes that it was due in part to the press and political criticism of her famous landmines campaign that she was in Paris at all that night.
1: Yeah, she didn't come back on the Thursday because of Mr Major having a go at her about the landmines. So she sent a message to the office and spoke to us and said, I'm not coming back because I don't want the press hassle with this landmine thing. If you do remember or don't remember, uh, Mr Major said that she was using it for her her own image, not uh, for the landmines, which was quite wrong. She'd have been back that Thursday and we'd have been living a normal life today, hopefully.
0: Regardless of whether or not that was the reason they were in Paris that night, it's worth noting that it was definitely a last-minute decision to be there. If there was a conspiracy to kill her, how would those involved in the plot have been able to plan the crash at such short notice? Diana was incredibly popular during her life, but in death she drew a new kind of fascination – in the weeks and months after the crash in Paris that killed her, along with Dodie Fired and their driver Henri Paul, rumours and conspiracies began to swirl.
1: I forget what the figures were, but I think it's something like 65 or 70% of the people, certainly in this country, thought there had been a conspiracy and that the death of someone like Dana, who was an icon, of course, couldn't be explained away other than the fact that there was some foul play taking place.
0: That's the former head of the Metropolitan Police, Lord Stevens, who would eventually lead the Scotland Yard inquiry into Diana's death. In the years between the crash and the inquiry, he, like everyone, was aware of the rumours that Diana's death was not an accident, but rather the result of a conspiracy. The accusations, many of which were made public by Dodi's father, Mohammed Al-Fayed,
1: I'm mentioning it all the time. It is absolute black and white, horrendous murder
0: were taken up by certain sections of the media and gained popular traction.
2: The shocking allegations about Princess Diana's death. Authorities now reviewing the new and sensational claim that she was actually murdered by the British government. ABC's chief legal affairs anchor here with more on that, Dan Abrams. And Dan, talk about a
3: conspiracy
1: theory. Oh, yeah.
3: I couldn't believe it. In fact, I didn't believe it. I thought, wait a minute, this can't be an accident. Diana Spencer had very powerful enemies that were able To kill her.
0: The accusations centred on a plot by MI6 under the instruction of the royal family itself to kill Diana. They suggested that the brakes on her car had been cut, that the CCTV in the armoured tunnel where the crash happened had been turned off, that a mysterious white Fiat had been involved, that she was engaged to Dodie Fired, that she was pregnant with his child. The list goes on.
2: I never believed the conspiracy theories.
0: Tony Juna is a royal biographer and often provides media commentary on the royals.
2: If you had wanted to kill the Princess of Wales, that was the most inefficient way of of doing it. An accident, a car crash in a tunnel. The car, yes, was was doing great speed, but it it was pure fluke that she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And if she had been wearing a seatbelt, the chances are that she would not have been killed. So not the most efficient way of organising a murder.
0: And, of course, she was in Paris at short notice as well. That was a last-minute decision, I believe. and Indeed, you know, it's a fairly late decision to stay on in France and not return to the UK after a week away, which I think was her original plan. So, again, how would a, a gang of conspirators be able to react to that situation? Absolutely. I just wondered what impact these allegations may have had on William and Harry. They were 15 and 12 when their mother died. How upsetting would it have been for them to read these things? And of course, though they were older at the inquest, also to hear some disturbing and intimate details about their mother's private life aired in public.
2: You can't underestimate how upsetting this whole... A whole thing must have been for those boys. Uh, I mean, it, just a year on after their mother's death, they staged a protest and didn't want to go and be photographed. I think it was going back to school or something. And they told Sandy Henney, who was then the Prince's Prince of Wales's press secretary, we're not doing this. We don't want to, you know, parade in front of the press. And she said, well, look, they, they came to a deal. They wanted, basically, they wanted the press to stop writing about their mother. They wanted to let their mother rest in peace. And they agreed to meet the press and to, to do this little photo session mm-hmm. on the proviso that they could say, please, enough is enough, and, you know, let's move on. And that was a year after her death. And here we are, 25 years after her death, mm-hmm. and still details of of everything about, you know, her life, her private life her love life her death everything is just being rehashed again and again and I think the impact on on both William and Harry has been enormous
0: to lose your mother at that age is bad enough but for it to be all over the papers and a lot of the reporting being shall we say highly suspect must have made the whole situation so much worse
2: absolutely I mean I, I think I feel very very sorry for those for those two men boys as they were I I think life has been very very difficult for them because everybody has a, a an an idea about you know they think they know the truth
0: The tipping point came in October 2003 when the Daily Mirror splashed across its front page a note penned by Diana herself.
3: But to complicate matters, the Mirror chose today to publish the full text of a letter Diana gave Paul Burrell. In his book, the name of the man she suspected of conspiring to kill her was blacked out. Today it was revealed she'd written, My Husband.
0: It had been given to the paper by Diana's former butler, Paul Burrell, the man who'd accompanied Colin Tebbit to France on the day she died. In the note... Said to have been written in October 1995, Diana implicated her estranged husband, Prince Charles, in a plot to kill her, Also, he could then marry their children's nanny, Tiggy Leg Bork. The news caused uproar. The gossip and sensational accusations about the royals was now so overwhelming that something had to be done. you've been listening to last days of diana a beyond reasonable doubt podcast series for mail plus with me stephen wright next time
1: at the heart of mr alfair's allegations was his belief that the crash was not an accident this is the most famous the most beautiful Lady in the world, right? She is the mother of the future king. They've been murdered with my son, and nothing. I've been fighting for six years, and nothing up to now happened. The only way to deal with these inquiries is, is go where the evidence takes you. What was never, and has never been, adequately explained, is how the blood sample taken allegedly from Henri Paul, the driver could have been his because it contained 30% of carbon monoxide.
0: The actual examination was very well performed. It's just that there were these gaps, and gaps are what you do not need if you're trying to make something conspiracy-proof. If you've enjoyed listening, please consider telling your friends. And if you'd like more on this and other stories, you can visit mailplus.com. .co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more, including previous Beyond Reasonable Doubt episodes.